Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. Welcome back. Not Your Weekly Sports Pod. We're putting the not, capital N-O-T, back in Not Your Weekly Sports Pod this week. Yeah. Uh, it's a lovely day. What's up, y'all? Chilling, bro. Chilling. How's everything been going, man? It's been a while. It's been, what, about a week like always. The uh, weather's nice. Uh, we're finally getting into fall or three weeks of fall that we get in Houston, <laughs> Texas. Spooky season. It's a lovely, lovely day, as uh, George Miller's great Mad Max Fury Road would say. Oh, uh, it is it is a lovely day in the sense that we have a beautiful topic and three beautiful people to share this topic. But oh. at the same time, my heart aches as the third wheel of this trio of unathletic varsity dropouts. Uh, wasn't able to make it today. Chef Boyardee, we love you. Shout out to you. You're out in the real world doing real things. Keep doing it. Keep doing your thing. But I think we got a good substitute yeah, man. here this week. What's up, Matty boy? What's up, OG? Hey, how you guys doing? What's up? So Matt Troll, uh, in my opinion, one of the amateur cinema critics from my undergraduate career, a fraternity brother, a roommate, one of my boys, future lawyer. Good to have you on the pod, brother. What's going on? Current lawyer. Current lawyer now. Oh. Oh, we made it, my yeah. dude. Okay, hey, yeah. you're going to be a future Quentin Tarantino movie character here. Sleazy lawyer boy. What's up? <laughs> dude, it's always nice to have you along, Matt. I know it's been like a good, like, what, a year or so since everybody's caught up together, dude. How's how's life been treating you in this past year, my dude? Uh, pretty good. How have you guys been? I've uh, just, just been getting ready for the bar. I graduated in May. Um, but you know, coronavirus. I mean, everyone's just kind of been hanging out at home. So yeah, yeah well, really it's, it's good to hang out at home when you have a wolf protecting you. So I'm sure <laughs> you're doing well there. <laughs> so for those who don't know, uh, Matthew Schroll actually does. He doesn't have a dog. He has a he has a pet wolf, and he's one of the few human beings in this world that can actually. Oh, up, uh, he's a big baby. He is he is a big I baby. Mean. He is a lovable big baby wolf that is the cutest thing in the world. And Matthew Schroll is his father. If, if he's been fed. <laughs> So speaking on that, man, I mean, so transitioning over today, dude, we do. So we had our Nolan podcast that a lot of people, we got some good reviews from one of our favorite directors of all time. And kind of want to pivot over into what another director that's considered one of the greatest of all times. Oh, I mean, you want to go through the Mount Rushmore of directors in today's day and age. We've got Christopher Nolan that we went over last week. We've got David Lynch. We've got David Fincher. We've got Steven Spielberg and my personal favorite director, Quentin Tarantino, baby, an icon, a cultural icon in today's game. Yeah, dude. I mean, he's okay. Been, I know oh. I added David Lynch, but I got to add one more. If we're talking about like the, uh, the the Mount Rushmore, go ahead. And that's uh, Stanley Kubrick. I mean, come on, he, he's like like the the god. We're talking about today, today. though. We're talking about modern. But you're oh, right. I mean, the, Stanley oh, living, living. Stanley okay, Kubrick you, is the I'm godfather sorry. of yeah, modern cinema. Can we throw Alfred Hitchcock in there too. While we're yeah. at it. I mean, yeah. I mean, you want to? We're having a Quentin Tarantino. Alfred Hitchcock is gonna get brought up. Of course. Come on now. <laughs> come on. But yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you, dude. Like the like Quentin Quint Tarantino is, I think, one of those few directors that the impact that he's end up that he ended up leaving on just Hollywood in general. Either you love him or you hate him, and I think because of that, you end up having so much uh so much notoriety with it that i just i, I love it I, I love it i think there's so many good things to end up saying about quentin tarantino that um i think we are actually, actually end up getting into this podcast about so man i'm excited i think it's gonna be a lot of fun i'm sorry about that background noise guys there's a um, motorcycle 
running past me right now. For no you see, it, Matt Troll, the lawyer that he is, he's trying to find a motorcycle crash so he can jumpstart his career. So no problem, bro. As long as it's benefiting <laughs> your career and that career comes back to help the podcast in the future, we're going to let it slide. So... Nabil, can we just talk for a second about Quentin Tarantino, his impact on our lives, his impact on cinema, on culture? I mean, this is a guy, in my opinion, that's impacted how we view and interact with popular media and yeah. culture in our entire lives. I mean, what is there to say about this guy, right? Every time I, I look, like, I think you see, there's not that many directors that pull off alternating history in the way that this guy does, right? Like, you've seen uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his most recent movie, and kind of taking all those murders that happened, all those historical contacts, flipping it over and making it, like, a, a huge uh, entertaining piece for people to watch for two and a half hours, and actually keeping entertained with that. Uh, you know, movies that we're going to get into, Inglorious Bastards, that, you know, Django, taking historical pieces and making them so entertaining and quite controversial too i think you see a lot of people ending up loving that type of uh you know that violence over the top uh, action over the top dialogue but then you see a huge other portion of it that find it to be kind of controversial stuff that you shouldn't let you know kids or the younger generation be able to witness so i, I think it's a huge mix of people on how they take quentin tarantino, uh, quentin tarantino regardless i think the man's a genius i think that what he's done for filmography in general uh it's it's changing in a, in a very pc world that we live in today uh, I think it's safe to say that Quentin Tarantino is very non-PC. Oh, absolutely. He's the first director, first director to do a road show, a movie road show in like what uh, two decades? Like when? When did they stop doing movie road shows? I, I don't even know when. But uh, Hateful Eight, he actually he brought back doing movie road shows with with a full like an actual movie program. Uh, he, an he intermission, showmanship. Uh, yeah, an intermission. It was a great. <laughs> it was a great show. He I mean, look bottom like with exactly on that point, Matt. This is a guy who came in, and essentially, I think current Tarantino's entire essence is taking something you love and doing whatever the hell you want with it. Essentially, betting on yourself. Like think about Kill Bill, a movie that we're not going to go over on this pod, but one of my favorite uh, Tarantino movies. The guy, he's shooting a, a scene where the scene where she, where Uma Thurman's fighting the crazy 88s, it just goes black and white. She starts like beheading people. Then it goes back into color, crazy music in the background. She finishes the fight off and then it goes into a slow, intense duel with Lucy Liu. So he just reinvents cinema. Fun fact. Fun fact about that scene. It was originally, they shot it all in color. Well, I mean, it obviously real life is in color. But it was originally intended to just be all in color. Happy accident, though. The uh, the studio thought it was too gory uh, for audiences. They, they they for some reason or not, there was just too much red blood flying on the screen yeah. for uh, the MPAA. Lots of blood okay and with. lots of blood and eyeballs they were, they being were, picked out. <laughs> they, they were talking about they were considering wave, uh, an, an NC uh, seventeen rating. Wow. They were threatening it. Jeez. But they, they did the black and white scene, and honestly, I think it looks better. Yeah, Matt's I, think, been, I think it works better that I way. Think, I think Matt's going to present some great half-ass internet research into <laughs> into the categories when we go through these movies. No, think, oh, yeah. I think this would be great, man. I think, like, you're absolutely right. I think the, the over-the-top bloodiness, the over-the-top language, and I think just... 
the way that I, for me, the way that Tarantino demands the scene and the way that he plays with the scene, like, you know, the norm that you ended up seeing, uh, it's completely different, right? Like, I think he puts a taste to it. I think there's very few directors. And I think it's the hallmark of a good director to just be able to watch a couple of scenes from any movie and know off the top of the bat, that's a Tarantino movie. Yeah. That's a Nolan movie. That's a Spielberg movie. There's a lot of act, like a lot of directors that'll make a movie and it just, it seems generic. There's absolutely just like nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a, a lot of musicians, are, you can hear three seconds of a new song and just know it's by them. Yeah, exactly. And I think the beauty of Tarantino is that you would know it from, you know, there's so many different ways you would know it. Is it the language? Is it the background, you know, the background score that's associated with it? Is the way that, is it the way that that scene is actually shot? There's so many different ways that can, you can critique and you can know exactly that it's a Tarantino film. For me, it's, exactly. it's how he makes you confront different genres, different ideas, especially manifested in characters that you kind of are uncomfortable with, right? Like a lot of the characters in his movies and Pulp Fiction, I mean, these guys are all disgusting human beings and they turn into somewhat, you know, uh, non-traditional heroes of sorts. Same with, um, same with Inglorious Bastards. I mean, the main character, the driving force, the beating well, heart of Inglorious Bastards yeah. is a Nazi hunting down Jews. Yeah. Well, let's, let's let's start it off. Let's start off the first movie that we want to talk about, Inglorious Bastards, right? Love well, it. Yeah, I wouldn't say probably one of Tarantino's uh, most you know financially successful movies and probably one of the movies that got him into the mainstream in uh, the 21st century as well. Uh, Inglorious Bastards, man, like you said, taking uh, taking a group of play, a group of people, I think the Jewish population in general and Matt being a, a Jewish man himself, taking uh, taking a group of people that has been so subjugated by history for the longest amount of time and then making them the protagonist, the badasses per se, uh, trying to destroy the Nazis, the you know the main people that kind of hurt them in the first place. So it's it's beautiful seeing like this alternate history type of thing with the inglorious bastards. And I think that Tarantino knocked it out of the park, man. Yeah. for it, It's a very, um, it, it's, I mean, it's very like satisfying it. And this is what a, Tarantino gets accused of a lot is not being a real artist, just making revenge porn ever since like the nineties. And I think that no, not entirely. Sure. There, there is, there's, there's just, uh, like the base satisfaction of watching the revenge theory happen, but he puts an actual, realistic story to it and creates an alternate history oh. it's not revenge porn because it, it has actual artistic value absolutely uh, i mean with Django Unchained, which i think is a passage for the black community i mean i can't speak to that specifically but oh we'll have plenty, sorry, we'll have plenty of time on inglorious bastards the matt you said it i mean as far as art goes no art form manifests better than a movie that has absolutely no mercy on murdering Nazis, right? <laughs> I mean, like the Hitler scene where the two guys uh, are standing there unloading rounds of machine gun into oh, Hitler's beautiful. dead corpse. I'm uh, sure I'm sure as a Jew, it was probably very satisfying <laughs> to see like Hitler's corpse just get say, destroyed. I was to, are, are we going to do, if we, if, I guess jump ahead. I might, I might run. That's my most rewatchable scene. One of two most <laughs> oh, rewatchable. We'll get, hey, we'll get to there. Oh, whenever oh, Eli Roth, call, call your tracks there, Matty boy. We got we this. Got <laughs> We're gonna get there. But I mean, as far as like Matt, as far as revenge porn goes, and Tarantino not being an artist, it would be such a cliche move to take this movie about revisionist history and defeating the Nazis and rewriting it to where we kill Hitler and making this a true war movie. But the beauty of this film i think comes in the sense that this is a war movie where yeah. all the battles all the conflicts 
come in the form of Hitchcock-style dialogue. 100%. Right? I mean, we have the greatest opening scene in cinema history, in my opinion. Yeah, one of, in my opinion, Meeting the revel The revelation of Christoph Waltz's genius. This is the first time I had ever been introduced to him in a mainstream American film. And seeing this guy on screen for the first time, thinking... Be honest, is that the first time you've ever seen him, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. I'd never seen Christoph okay. Waltz in a movie before. No, because you said in a mainstream American film, and I yeah, um, it's just to say that he had done a lot of. I know he had done a lot of work with German movies and French cinema that I had never personally seen. But this is the first time I'd ever heard about him, and I'm assuming this is the first yeah. time he'd been in a mainstream blockbuster type American movie. Yeah, no, I would well, I agree with that's that. One thing that Quentin Tarantino does really well is he finds he finds actors like that. He 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 nitpicks and finds like. Like Christoph Waltz, um, like the like the, the the French man at the beginning, uh, whose name I can't remember right now off the top of my head. It's gonna bug me. The I dairy farmer. Let's go with that. The dairy farmer. The dairy farmer. Yes, thank you. Um, he, he just picks little characters like that, and he kind of made Christoph Waltz's career. Yeah. With that movie. Yeah. I mean, he 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 had a storied career before that, but in in, in mainstream cinema. He's it, he owes it to Quentin Tarantino. I mean, and a lot of actors do. Matt, we were making but, me and Nabil were talking about this before the podcast, and this may not hit with you, but Quentin Tarantino before Inglorious Bastards was essentially the Daryl Mo- the Daryl Morey of the cinema world, and he would always take guys who weren't at their peak underutilized, underappreciated talents and maximize their usage rates on screen, really show the world what they had to offer them. I mean, in Glorious Bastards, I guess Brad Pitt was the first guy at his peak that he presented, but you look at his former movies, you look at Kill Bill, you look at Jackie Brown, Reservoir Dogs, uh, Pulp Fiction, none of those guys in those movies were clear-cut A-listers at the top of their careers. I mean, we'll get, to Pulp, we'll get to Pulp Fiction in a little bit. The lead actor of yeah. Pulp Fiction, John Travolta, was a con controversial signing yeah well same thing i was gonna say like tim roth in um reservoir dogs yeah uh he was an excellent cast an excellent like tremendous talent and uh he, very a very underrated actor uh walton goggins another career that yeah. was made completely absolutely uh, almost completely by tarantino now you see him on uh, hbo I think he got cast in vice principals because of that, that yeah. <laughs> seen uh, yeah. remember watching those in your apartment man good times fun. good times so real quick let me go back to this opening scene just to kind of show you guys what tarantino's about he, he pays a lot of homage to old classics yeah. right we mentioned hitchcock in this opening scene like do you guys realize the kind of setup of the opening scene is essentially unforgiven? The old, true. the old classic yeah. unforgiven. I didn't think about that. It's very true. Holy right. Shit. And it's kind of the same yeah. setup as the good, the bad and the ugly. And to throw one more historical note in here, the opening note score is Beethoven, right? This Germanic composer arriving into a small village, much the same as Christoph Waltz, arriving into this small French village, this dairy farmer's village, to make his mark on the rest of the movie. So beautifully done. We want to talk about artistic talent, bringing all these different genres and these different inspirations together to set up what I think, in my opinion, is the greatest opening scene of any movie ever. No, there's very hard to deny that. I think the beauty that I saw of Christoph Waltz was... it was the ambiguity of the character, right? Because when he first comes in, I didn't know what he was going to be, right? Yeah. I, I thought this was just going to be your average, you know, Gestapo coming in that it was, or, you know, something of that nature that was going to be a basic check. It was going to be nothing big. And then you just see the true evil of what this character actually, you know, what this character actually entails. And actually seeing 
uh, Christoph Waltz, you know, take it to a T, right? Just play this role to a T and that you are afraid of this man and what he's going about to do to this whole family. Uh, I think, you know, obviously Tarantino did a phenomenal job in trying to just play the scene up to the point where you, this character is all you're looking at. And what this character does on top of that is just the, the amount of fear and emotion that's evoked from this character in this first five minute scene is unprecedented. Beautiful. And I think that one thing that I think that Tarantino does really well is highlight the strengths of his actor more than anything else. I think that a lot of other and a lot of other um, directors, what they do is that they'll take a big name or they'll take any name. They'll pretty much give them a generic role that you believe that that person can excel in no matter what. I could not. I could not imagine anybody else doing that role other than Christoph. Waltz. Well, you, funny thing is, when we get to casting, what ifs? Do you guys are, do you guys want to take a guess at who the original casting was for yeah, Christoph Waltz's character? Yeah, you told me, man. I was in shock when you told me Daniel freaking Day Lewis. No, 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 no. Oh, that's, no. that's Pulp Fiction. Oh, that's Pulp Fiction. My bad. Yeah, who is, who is Leonardo DiCaprio? No it, way. What a different movie this would have been with Leonardo DiCaprio. Thirty thirty percent of this movie is spoken in English. Yeah, I, I can't imagine Leonardo DiCaprio learning English and French in the amount of time. Although he did. Speak Sleep inside of a fucking bear and eat <laughs> well, raw he eel. Already, he does already speak English, so that's there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's one third of the way there. Way to go, Leo. Uh, um, it, spend some less time banging supermodels, and maybe you can expand your career and get a real Oscar. Well, an- another another thing that he does, you're saying using using utilizing actors in ways you wouldn't expect, like Brad Pitt. That's the oh. accent, Brad Pitt. Whenever as soon as he opens with that, it's you you kind of laugh a little bit. The first time I heard Brad Pitt. Uh, Introduce himself as Lieutenant Aldo Rain. I can't even do come close to it. You know what I'm what, saying? What, he, uh, yeah. what, was, what was that famous it, line? We're in the we're in the Nazi hunting business, and cousin but business is even, a booming. It's believable though. It, <laughs> it, it is after after like in the first sentence you believe it. Yeah, it, it it's not it's not Brad Pitt at all. Brad Pitt's never you know spoken like that in any role or been that character at all. Matt, you know anything close to it. You know what's beautiful about Pitt's performance in this movie is every I I mean. It, disagree and like correct me if you guys can but i feel like every single character in this movie almost plays like a musical chair of roles right like everyone's pretending to be something else at some point in the movie except for brad pitt brad pitt like cannot be anything other than himself other than this genuine portrayal of some nazi hunting american from the rocky mountains i I believe that i think that see that brings us to our next point which i really want you know all both y'all's opinions on let's go into the casting of this movie right we've been talking about this for quite some time what what was y'all's favorite role your favorite character in the whole movie this one's easy for me what's up let me hear michael fassbender's Uh (laughs) michael fassbender's character Oh my God! I, there's so much to say about this guy. He he portrays a character who's born in born in Germany, moves to Ireland, learns English in Ireland, and then has to pretend playing an Englishman who learns German and is a German critic because he was raised in a mountain village of Pizza Palu. So you're telling me this guy's a dude playing another dude disguised as another <laughs> dude. <laughs> We're pulling a nice little RDJ movie here, man. I'm oh, done. man. <laughs> no, dude, I'm, I'm with you. You know, another thing about Michael Fassbender, right? Like, I, I think of Michael Fassbender now, I think a lot of people will go immediately to the X-Men series. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, then a lot of the bigger role that he had with Magneto and then, you know, then becoming a much bigger actor. But same thing, right? Michael Fassbender, I think, was similar to Christoph Waltz in which he really wasn't that mainstream of an actor, like an A-list actor in what yeah. he was in Hollywood. He had, what, like one big time movie, Hunger? Yeah. Which wasn't Hunger. even a blockbuster yeah. hit. 
Yeah, and I, again, like, and to, to come to this point now and to be in a, a blockbuster with Tarantino with this all-star cast, uh, it kind of, it, it, it just made his career get so much bigger and trajectory-wise, and uh, he killed it. Yeah, no, I, I, this I remember when he came on that scene, when he meets Churchill and he's briefed about right. Operation Kino, all I remember thinking is, who the fuck is this movie star? Who's the, who's the where <laughs> yeah. have I seen him before? What the fuck? He doesn't show up until like 50 minutes into the movie, and he's only in the movie for 17 minutes of screen time. And in my opinion, it's the best 17 minutes of the entire movie. Yeah, no, I think that was that was going to be one of mine too, man. For me, um, for me, my favorite role, it just it ha- it had to be Christoph Waltz, man. Oh. I mean, I, I can't. It's hard to argue. Just because, like, I think from from this, what I ended up seeing more of Christoph, we started seeing more of Christoph Waltz and what he could end up being as an actor as well. Uh, dude ends up winning an Oscar, right? Dude's uh, he, he gets all the accolades that we need. I think he ends up winning the Golden Globes as well. I could be wrong with that, but he definitely ends up winning so many awards with this. The critical reception that he received from this, and then pretty much also what this led to right i think after this uh he pretty much played the bond villain for uh, against daniel craig as well after skyfall uh i think it was specter if i'm not mistaken was the yeah. movie afterwards um and the amount of other big roles that uh that christoph waltz ended up locking in because of this movie uh yeah i mean we talk about a man that i would say that the role that christoph waltz played he was more hated than hitler in the whole fucking movie are you kidding me to have a man that's playing and uh, playing a role alongside adolf hitler and you're still the most hated character props to you christoph waltz that was phenomenal um so is this is this the character our favorite character or is this the one that we the actor spent the least amount of time on screen that did the best no 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 this is your favorite one what's your favorite role Matt? oh just favorite all together favorite, I, Eli Roth, uh, Bared You. Oh, um, yeah. Fucking awesome. <laughs> that's that's every Jewish person that watched that movie's favorite character. <laughs> oh, I could imagine. I could imagine just, yeah, the, the entry to that character, man. That's well, he, he walks out and he, he's, he, do the tap, tap, tap. You, yep. you, you don't know it's Eli Roth the first time you see it. You expect like a huge motherfucker. Then it's like Eli Roth, he, he's pretty tall, but in, in the scene he looks pretty like, you know, just not super imposing. And he just walks over with the bat and you get that medal for killing Jews and just bashes the guy's skull in. Teddy the, fucking like, Williams iconic. hits it out of the ballpark. Yeah. Fenway goes crazy. Then, yeah. he, he starts going off like an insane person about it. Yeah. He's he's fucking that was perfect. So real that, quick, it, 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 it's, it's very Eli Roth because he's like you know the splat pack horror director. But. Yeah, yeah. Fun fact about Eli Roth: the uh, the short movie about the German guy who Ooh. kills two hundred uh, Allied soldiers in the bell tower. Uh, Eli Roth directed that short movie. No shit. <laughs> oh my god. So, oh wow. Yeah, little little half ass internet research for you wow. boys. Real quick, how did That's he build cool. that brand? You know, like without social media or the internet, like all the Germans knew about him. That's some hella word of mouth. That is. What, whatever Instagram clout any listener here might be having, you ain't got shit on the bear Jew. No. <laughs> Don't do that. So yeah, I think these are all great, man. So we got to go to the next thing of what are our casting what ifs? You know, I think this movie was casted so beautifully. But you know, what can we say about the casting what ifs for, that you would personally oh, have? There's there's so many. So you know, Fassbender auditioned for the role of Hans as well, oh, like several times. He was begging for that part. Uh, thankfully, it went to Christoph Waltz. I think Fassbender could have pulled it off. But again, Waltz was a revelation to American cinema in that role. That's one of them. Um, I mentioned Leo yeah. as Hans Landa. I, I'm not sure how that would have worked out, but again, that was a casting choice that was out there it as well. It would have been ridiculous. 
Yeah. It would not have worked. Matt, he's, a, he's a talented actor, but no. Matt, the Bear Jew, the original actor that was supposed to play the Bear Jew, you won't believe this. Okay. Adam Sandler. Huh. <laughs> that, that's a joke. No, 100%. Because Tarantino had been writing this movie since the late 90s, and so there was a lot of casting yeah. what-ifs uh, on this movie. A lot. I could, I, you know, I could maybe see... I don't know if you've seen Uncut Jim's Adam Sandler. Yeah. Or any serious Adam Sandler movie. Uh, we're not Punch Drunk Love. I mean, that's not really... Uh, no, Hidden Gems is actually Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love, where he goes and beats the shit out of those three guys. That's yeah. That scene. I, I could I could see Adam Sandler, maybe. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard imagining a Billy Madison Adam Sandler oh, God. beating a Nazi's brain in with a baseball bat. Oh, God. Yeah, that would... <laughs> oh. They would have to make him... They would have to give him like a, a little bit of like an, uh, a beard, like how he has a beard now, how he has, has that little mustache and chin strap going. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he would he would have to get somewhat of like a scruff look going if he was able to pull off a, a role of a guy oh, who had yeah. been in Nazi occupied France for several years. Maybe like maybe like a uh, a little scar on his face with uh, makeup or something. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Nabil, a few more for you. Since this was being written in the 90s, originally, I don't know if this is true or not, but there's some Reddit theories going around that uh, he, Quentin Tarantino originally wanted these guys in the roles. Sylvester Stallone as Aldo, oh, Bruce, Bruce Willis as Donnie the Bear Jew, and Arnold Schwarzenegger oh. as Hugo Stiglitz. <laughs> oh my God. No, actually, I could imagine. So that was my casting what if. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger as Adolf Hitler. Oh my <laughs> like, God. I would have I would have loved to see like a like a swole ass Hitler just get destroyed. Oh my god! But yeah, that would that that is my casting. What if beautiful Arnold Schwarzenegger? That could be man. a really funny movie by itself. Right? Exactly. Like Imagine a swole seeing... Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like if Hitler was swole, the Holocaust wouldn't have happened in the first. But he wouldn't have been so self conscious. He would have. Um, it wouldn't have happened. So it wouldn't make sense. But it would be funny. Yes. No. So that that's that's definitely for me. I I, I think uh, I think one of the the main like casting mishap, and I, I don't blame anybody. I don't think anybody uh, any like actor with a brand conscious name wants to be known as the guy who played Adolf Hitler. But by God, I wish we had like a big name, you know, class A celebrity playing Adolf Hitler. Uh, that would have been that would have been the greatest. I, I think well, that would have been the greatest thing in the world. I, I don't think that most people. Uh, I don't think a lot of people would mind that. I, I think if you do a good Hitler, it's. As long as you're not already in the media as someone like that, that people already think of as kind of like a racist or something, that, that yeah, I, I think you'd be fine to do that. Uh, it, it's, uh, I think it'd be really good for someone's career to, to play the bad guy. I mean, it's see that's the I, thing I, that's though, right? Like, like there's bad guys, yeah. right? There's like antiheroes. There's bad guys, but I think you know, you, you tell me, obviously being Jewish yourself, the uh, like, um, you know, with the, I, I guess the sensitivity with Adolf Hitler but it's also like no it's like okay if you did a really good job playing Adolf Hitler isn't that kind of like an like an irony in itself like kind of like an oxymoron to say that you did a good job playing such a bad character but then if you did such a bad job playing that bad character you know I think there's kind of like that you're kind of walking down a slippery slope right especially if you're already an established name right like let's say you are an Arnold Schwarzenegger right you're going to be getting known as the Terminator uh, you're going to be known as all you know as uh, as Conan the Barbarian but then you're also going to be then known as the guy who did a shitty job playing Hitler you know, like it's. I feel like and there's too much gotta, to lose. Someone's got to play the role. Someone's yeah. got to play the role. Period. So that's just at the end of the day, the movie's gonna be made. Someone's got to play the role, and it's uh, so unfortunate. I I could not possibly see a movie being made with him. Be, was he really supposed to be Hitler? No, and, no, no. We don't know. No. We don't know this. Yeah, we don't oh, know this at all. Definitely not Hitler. But they rumored Hugo Stiglitz. I, I can't. I. It would have to be. A, it would have to be like a spoof. Like, exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, as a, as a, I wouldn't be offended by. It. I don't know any Jew that would be. 
seriously offended by that. <laughs> that that would that that's not just like thin skinned. Isn't offended by everything, you know? Calling the ADL every single time someone um fucking eggs their house or something, and they think, you know, it, it's it's uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't anticipate spending this much time on the Hitler casting choice. But (laughs) speaking of, yeah, yeah. Speaking of Arnold as Hugo Stiglitz, can I just say how fucking awesome the introduction of Hugo Stiglitz was when they're on that scene that we're talking about, where they're about to murder that Nazi officer, and they zoom to Hugo, and fucking Metallica comes on in the background, and Samuel L. Jackson's narrating the fucking killing spree. That yeah. Hugo Stiglitz goes through, just marvelous, Beautiful. marvelous. These random nonsensical changes in tone is just what makes Tarantino so fucking great. Oh, I agree. He, he just invents the rules for himself. I agree. Matt, did you have a uh, did you have a casting what up by any chance? Hugo Stiglitz wouldn't have worked if as uh, any. It, well, I mean, anybody else, I don't know. But the the actor that it had to be like a, a not not a big name actor. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the characters in their movie work because it's not like a big well known actor. It's like who the fuck is this guy? Oh, it's Hugo Stieglitz. That's who it is. That's who you see on the screen. If you saw who was it, Bruce Willis or whoever else? Yeah, it would take away. Cassie, that's who you'd see. You'd see Bruce Willis. Yeah. That's I mean you'd see fucking uh, I, I I don't even remember the name from Die Hard, but whatever. You that's who you'd see on the fucking screen. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. That's what I think. That's why Tarantino sticks to um, to mo- more unknown actors a lot. That's one reason maybe why he sticks to a lot of unknown actors um, in a lot of movies. What would you all say is the the Eric Gordon Award man, the guy who comes in 10, 15 minutes, gives you a strong performance, and just just dips, says I'm out. I, I'm tempted to say Fassbender because he's only in it for seventeen minutes, yep. but those seventeen minutes that he's in it, he commands the entire screen. Yeah. So I don't want to go with him. I want to go with his Nazi counterpart, D- Dieter Hillstrom. <laughs> Can we? Do, is there a more fucking evil Nazi name than Dieter <laughs> Hellstrom? Oh what the God. fuck? This guy killed it as the the Nazi kind of hiding behind the scenes, interrogating the situation, this Hitchcock situation in the La Louisiane Tavern, who comes in and really steals the show for me. I, I thought he did a phenomenal job of playing one of the mini bad guy bosses in a movie where the bad guys really take command of the entire movie. Yeah. No, for sure. I think for me, like it, 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 Michael Fassbender, man. I mean, it's it's too God, easy. He's like, so good. Yeah, you you put it on a silver Fuck. fucking platter for me, dude. Come on now, God like, damn it. Hey, you can't be you can't make it that easy, dude. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Mike, Michael Fassbender. I mean, to to be in a role for seventeen minutes, but still be known as probably one of the greatest performances in the whole movie. I, there, there's nothing else to say. And I think Fassbender then after this role cemented himself as an A-list actor in Hollywood. Matt, do you have your Eric Gordon Award? Do you have somebody so, that came uh, in? So along with. So this, this isn't it, but the, almost it's almost a tie. But uh, along with Fassbender in that scene, uh, Michael Myers makes a really, really <laughs> awesome cameo. Yeah, it's hilarious. It, it's not even funny. It's just funny because you know he's a funny guy, and it's supposed to be it's Michael Myers. So you just you laugh just because for a second because it's it's two British people talking fast after you just saw uh, like a really horrific scene right before, or like a really serious tense scene right before. And then it's almost like comic relief to have Michael Myers there. And, tell me, um, tell me but, about German cinema. <laughs> but the absolute best, uh, yeah, the abs- I think my my favorite, uh, my favorite uh, brief actor acting performance was by uh, I looked him up, Dennis Minoche, uh, the dairy farmer. 
Oh yeah, good call. Good call. He I mean, is an excellent. Just actor. seeing him rattled and just completely discombobulated that, yeah. when when Christoph Waltz changes his tone from the amicable guy drinking the milk, smoking his cigar to "Are you sheltering his fucking eyes, enemy of the states?" Yeah, the dude. wrinkles on his face, the the tensions his face makes. It, it, it's almost almost as good as the scene from. Uh, and I don't know if you ever if you remember the. Uh, the the dad uh, Abernathy from if you ever see yeah. Westworld of course, yeah, of course. Ever listen to Westworld yeah for it's sure a, it's it was it reminds me of that scene um where, where he, the the father starts glitching up and his face starts twitching all the that that kind of uh, facial acting that is a very good scene for that so okay. Dennis Minoche so before we move on from the Eric Gordon Award there's a new category that I want to throw here in here real quick Nabil it's called the Mount Rushmore okay is there any actor <laughs> director writer uh, score that's at the peak of their powers in this movie for me it's personally it's i gotta go with brad pitt this is brad pitt or christoph waltz i feel like christoph waltz is the easy answer uh but one of those two really this is the best performance that i've seen from the best performance i would say up till i, I think brad pitt's just it's really hard for an a-list actor when you look at it because i think for them it's like you know there's there's so many books of great performances they've had especially, at this point. especially with once upon a time in hollywood being right out. right and then on top of that prior to this you know brad pitt was also in movies like seven fight club you know yeah. it's really hard to be like all right this is his best performance but to me yeah I've, i just never you know like you I didn't see any other movie that Christoph, Christoph Waltz, Waltz was a yeah. part of. So for me, yeah, definitely. I, I, this was Christoph Waltz's, you know, his, you know, his Beethoven moment that he comes in is, is phenomenal. God, so, beautiful, man. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't think I could think of anybody else that I would personally put on there to say that it was better than that. Matt, what's your most rewatchable scene from this movie? Oh, I was about to say, I, I, I'm glad you didn't come to me for that. Cause same thing. Christoph Waltz. It, he, he's been the same character every single movie after that, by the way. Yeah. Um, he has. German guy, whimsical, three languages. Uh, favorite scene, though. Most rewatchable scene. So, like I said, one of the, for every Jewish person's most rewatchable scene is Eli Roth just blasting Hitler's face off with machine gun. Operation Kano, Kino, baby. But, yeah, that that's just one of the coolest scenes ever. But, my uh, my favorite scene is either that or the uh, the bear Jew scene where uh, Eli Roth comes out and beats the guy's face in. One of those two. Yeah, for me, it's straight up the bear Jew scene. Like, yeah. I, there's there's wow. no doubt yeah. about it. Like, wow. the the introduction of a character that's the the introduction of a character. I think that they hyped up Eli Roth to the point of like a godlike complex. Like, here comes the savior of these Jews that's going to give like give these guys the hell that they deserve. Right. I think when I look back at it just historically, you know, the all, all the hatred, all the you know, all the evil that the Nazis would did during the Holocaust, everything that you know we learned in history class, everything that we learned on our own. I think the amount of anger that the Jewish population probably held in and to see this guy come in that, hey, you know, you see this motherfucker, this guy who's literally, you know, the funniest part was seeing the other guy shit his pants whenever you hear like the, the taps on each time, each time he taps the fucking bat <laughs> and the guy's literally shitting himself because he knows what's going to happen. And then you have this hard ass who's like, oh yeah, for country and freaking Eli Roth just comes out. All right, with, with you know, with machismo raising, the whole U.S. Army in the background clapping him on, knowing what's about to happen, and him literally bashing this man's head upside the head, and his other guy shitting himself is willing to give all the secrets away to the whole German army. I thought it was just phenomenal, and I, I thought like, oh as yeah, a, yeah, yeah. I thought as a Jewish person who's you know anybody who's had any lineage to the Holocaust, it's probably one of the most satisfying scenes in cinematic history for you. I still want to see. Followed up with, with immediately with the guy with the guy pointing out the scene. Like he's like, so what about you? You want to get your head bashed in? And you know, you point him out of the map. He just does gives them all the information immediately. It, it's 
It's for, beautiful. Yeah, poor followed up with comedy, which is like how, what he does, Tarantino does repeatedly through the movie. Still would have loved to see anger management, uh, Adam Sandler in that scene, <laughs> just screaming nonsensically. The classic Adam Sandler unathletic swing coming. So, into so the instead of a baseball bat, will we see like full Billy Madison with the golf club? <laughs> uh, honestly, I, I know you're saying Adam Sandler, but every time you say it, I'm picture, I'm, I'm just seeing Gilbert Godfrey doing it. Oh, Get over here, you Nazis! <laughs> fucking parrot from Aladdin voice. Yeah, I'm, I'm dead. dead. Oh my okay, God. I, I gotta, I gotta right. go off the beaten track here. It, the opening scene was great. That's not my favorite scene. Jew Bear was great. Not my favorite scene. The tavern scene, the ambush in the tavern. Yes, that is just yep. unfucking believable. Yeah. Hitchcock style writing for me. You've got great essentially. Scene. Two thirds of the scene is just watching these characters play Who Am I with a set of cards <laughs> and the tension that he's able to build with that setting of people just drinking alcohol, the German, uh, the German boot beer, the fucking people trying to masquerade as somebody else. It's an unbelievable job of taking people hanging out in a common setting and creating moments of tension, fear, and anxiety that I don't think we see. I mean, you have three pistols pointed at four testicles. What more <laughs> What more could you want, right? Dieter Hillstrom, the greatest evil Nazi character, Michael Fassbender masquerading around, giving giving himself away with the uh, three fingers, the German three, yes. as opposed to the American three fingers. In my opinion, I this is this is this is what I think is maybe Tarantino's greatest scene, period. Uh, in close running with the opening scene of Reservoir Dogs debating tipping. Uh, those two really come like one A, one B for me. No, I couldn't agree more with you, man. So Damn, I, we, got, we gave up our almost rewatchable scenes right here. What aged the best, man? Like, there's so many good things about this movie that I could say that have aged so well. But in your opinion, what's what's aged the best? Uh, the presentation of a strudel with cream in a French restaurant. That was <laughs> that looked fucking delicious. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hungry now. Thanks a lot, bro. No, but in all seriousness, Christoph Waltz's performance. I, yeah. I watched this movie a couple nights ago, and still, I'm just fucking mesmerized when he comes on the screen and the way he just presents himself as that amicable fellow and turns out to be the most disastrous entity for whatever character he interacts with it's got to be him for me i think for, for me it's going to be the fact that even though this was revisionist history and we go back trying to you know change history to to a different point than from what we've had um i think that you know i think for me it's just going to be the fact that uh you know, we're looking at the fact that it's still in World War II, but they they've they played it off in a way that you don't believe it's not World War II. I think some people have done it historically where you see that, all right, you know what, you're trying to make it look like this was going to be in World War II and Nazi Germany. But I think these guys pulled it off. Like, it, I don't think you, anybody would believe that this wasn't done as a World War II, you know, spoof type of thing. So I think that's age the best for me, just the way that the setup in the background, the way that we end up seeing old Germany, the way we end up seeing, you know, the allies versus, uh, uh, versus the Nazis, the whole setup, the design and everything behind it. I think it's aged very well. Even if you look at it 50 years from now, you're going to see that they did a really good job trying to emulate World War II. Yeah, Matt, what's aged the best for you? I'm sorry? What's aged the best for you? Which age? Uh, like, what specific scene? Something Anything from, about the movie. Uh, I guess, uh, specifically, Brad Pitt's performance. It, it really... Uh, it, it's the same to me. It, it really... Uh, Goralami. It, it, huh? 
Gorolami. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Italian. Italian. Uh, <laughs> it's really... Uh, Dominic uh, de Pepo. Edward de Coco. Yeah. No, it, it's... Yeah. But it's it, it's perfect. Um, it, it's it's always it's it's really really um, what I think like perfect of what I think Europeans and maybe a lot of the rest of the world think of American to be look like sound like dress how how an American would try to speak Italian. Um, I think that's perfect. Well I, said. I, and it's it's really, it hasn't gotten old to me. So well said. maybe I'd go with that. Well said. Yeah, he's, he's the beating heart of the movie with Christoph Waltz, the dichotomy between those two characters. Um, age the worst. I'm going to go with a couple couple nominees here. I've got Eli Roth's feel for baseball. He seems like more of a New York guy than a Boston <laughs> guy, so that kind of threw things off for me. He's got the hairy shoulders. He's got the dark complexion. Uh, the other one for me has to be Fassbender only being in two scenes. Yeah. Like, it's got to be ballsy thinking about Tarantino. you got to think that Tarantino probably – was able to see the brilliance of Fassbender as he was directing him in these scenes and still limit him to those 17 minutes. So the fact that he was only in those two scenes, it really took away from a lot. Once he died off in that tavern scene, it, I kind of, uh, I lost my drive for the movie after that. Still a great ending. It is. Yeah. For me, I think of the main thing that's aged, uh, that's aged the worst very minimally, but I, I wish that, uh, you know, same, same thing. I wish that, <laughs> that what they had with for Eli Roth, I wish, Eli Roth had a little more character development instead of just being this giant brute. I think there's a lot of a lot, like a lot of promise in what Eli Roth could have been. Like you know, it could have been something that was more coy, but I think they just felt him like you know had him like a like a kind of like a brainless brute. Like hey man, um, yeah. So yeah, I think that was the, that was the main thing for me. Yeah, well said. Matt, y'all, y'all have age, any? Uh... Age, age the worst yeah. is um, I would. And I don't mean this uh, offensively. I love his performance and I love his acting. He's very talented. It, it's not anything to do with this movie, actually. But Christoph Waltz's whole performance in the movie is aged the worst for me. Excellent, wow. excellent talent, excellently executed. Everything was well written. But it's not because of the uh, glorious bastards. It's because of Django Unchained basically recycling the character yeah. and almost every way, but making him a good guy. It's like. It, it's like uh, Christoph in that movie. Uh, Hans, uh, uh, he, he was the like evil twin brother of the his character in Django, and uh, then later I know it wasn't. Uh, it was Tim Roth, not um, Christoph Waltz in The Hateful Eight. But really, I mean, Tim Roth grew out a beard and grew his hair out to basically <laughs> look like Christoph Waltz from uh, <laughs> he, he Glorious, and basically played the same character. Yeah, and he, he so uh, really just. Recycling that character over and over, the he was he was a TJ Maxx very like yeah. this, very whimsically. Uh, that that's just gotten old to me, and uh, I don't think it has anything to do with Christoph Waltz because you know you can't, I would take the jobs that were given to me, and I'm not gonna you know bitch about the writing because then I'm not gonna get any more jobs. So you can't really help being typecast. Yeah. So it's not his fault, but that's what is aged the worst for me. Good point. Do y'all have any uh, like final points on this movie? No, dude. I mean, it was one of my one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. You know, historically speaking, this is going to be one of the 
you know, when, when all is said and done in uh, Tarantino's filmography, we're going to look back at, at this one and say that this is one of his greatest. So just a fun movie. Yeah. F- front to finish. Yeah. Who would have thought that a movie about uh, the Nazis and Adolf Hitler would be saying it's a fun movie. And Tarantino's ode, him being kind of meta like he is in all his movies in that final scene where Aldo, uh, Brad Pitt's character, carves the Nazi symbol into Christoph Waltz's oh, forehead saying that I, oh, think, yeah. I think this might be my masterpiece. This might be my best one yet. I think Tarantino is reflecting on this work and kind of telling the audience, this is my best movie. This is the movie that I've put the most stock into. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, that's, that's why I, I think that, um, I think it, it's, his, it's, it's a transition from uh, all the movies he did before were completely unrelated to this, this style. This is his first revisionist history movie. Um, he got a taste for it and decided, Oh, well, now I want to do Django. Um, which I don't know, maybe that's a, uh, good segue, but <laughs> well, the next uh, one we want to get into, Maddie boy, is uh, your favorite man, Pulp Fiction. Let's get oh, into yeah, it. Oh yeah, yeah, Pulp Fiction. Okay, all right. What's up? All dude? right, yeah. Dude, what is there? What is there to say about Pulp Fiction? The fact that I think trend-setting, uh, iconic, uh, nothing like we've entered seen anything before in the '90s when something like this came out. The casting, the I guess the whole timeline of how you end up running a movie, uh, just phenomenal. There, it, there's it's a, the movie that every boring hipster our age knows to like reference to talk about Quentin Tarantino, but like can't actually talk in depth about. So maybe let's see if we can do it. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I, no, no sophomore slump for Tarantino here. I, I, this, might be, this might be the peak of his powers, right? Released yeah. in 1994, uh, runner up yeah. for best director in the Oscars. Do y'all know what ended up winning it instead of this movie? For best picture or yes. best uh, for best picture? Best, best picture and best director. Oh, no. No, I do not. Forrest, Forrest, no. Forrest fucking Gump. Yeah. The, Ameri- the fucking apple pie of a restaurant. Movie of cliches. Uh, the conservative wet dream of a white guy running around with no critical thinking skills, listening to authority. This like The fact that Forrest Gump won over this film is an absolute travesty to me. I think this is the thing about Forrest Gump, right? I think Forrest Gump was one of those movies when it first came out. I think it just enlightened the the masses as a whole. I think Pulp Fiction for a lot of people, especially the audience back in the 90s, I think this movie was way too ahead of its time. Ahead of its time, Way yeah. too ahead of its time. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you look at it now, I think Pulp Fiction ends up, is one of those few movies that ends up being more appreciated every year, every year, every year yeah. later, right? As it's you can very see, rewatchable. Right? And so people don't have that with you know, with Tom Hanks oh, and, and, uh, and Forrest Gump, I think people see it now. It's like, okay, this wasn't as great as we kind of came out for it to be, right? Robert Zemeckis was kind of overrated in this movie. Uh, but then when you look at this Tarantino masterpiece, you see nuances into this. It's like, okay, this is phenomenal. This is nothing Pulp like we had in the, the 90s. Movie, it's the only movie I can say that it's commercially, was, it was commercially successful and is also a cult hit. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. It you know, cost just, $8 million to make and ended up profiting $253 million. Yeah. It's an ROI wet dream. Yeah. Um, it, it, which is, you know, when you say something gets a cult following later on after it's made, like that's usually a flop. The flop movies do that. That's that's what you're. That's why it's called a cult hit. But uh, I can't think of a single other movie other than Pulp Fiction that checks both of those boxes. That It's just awesome. It's... um. It is, I don't know if this made Uma Thurman's career or if Quentin Tarantino just period made her career. But uh, I, I think her acting in this is what people know her for. 
Well, you know, um, she, she people... was very reluctant to play this role initially. The role of Mia. Uh, yeah. She, yeah. like, Tarantino had to get her on the phone and, like, read lines off the script to her to convince her to take this role. Originally, Julius Dreyfus. He thought it was a very weak, a, a very weak, lame woman. A very, like, uh, not, not. Like very nothing kind of character, which yeah, it could have very, like it could have very easily been, right? Meg Ryan and right. Julia Dreyfus from Seinfeld were two of the others in the running for it, and I don't think they could have done with Mia what Uma Thurman I, did. I couldn't see. No, I would like to see Julia Dreyfus audition for it. That would be fun. So it would be fun to watch. Yeah. Before oh, before we get caught up on uh, Umer Thurman's character, just a few more facts for y'all. Yeah. The word "fuck" was said two hundred and fifty six times. It's fucking beautiful in this movie. Fucking gorgeous. Oh. And if what, you want to, if you want to talk about a cult of those, was sixty percent of that by Samuel L. Jackson? I would not be one bit surprised. I think you're kind of aiming low there, Maddie. <laughs> that's a that's a good over under <laughs> for the betters out there. If you want to talk about the cultural impact of this movie, Republican presidential nominee in 1996, Bob Dole. By the way, is there a more Republican name than Bob, Dole. Bob fucking Dole? <laughs> Bob Dole said, Bob Dole. quote, it undermines the character of the nation with nightmares of profanity and depravity and romanticizes heroin. Oh, my God. Well yeah, done. That's coming from, Beautiful. It's coming from a man that speaks about himself in the third person. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm Bob Dole. Yeah, and, that, yeah no. Yeah, I love everything about this movie. Yeah, there, I don't think there's anything like bad about like everything that they did with this was just phenomenal, man. Like from the casting, the way it was shot, the scores, like you know, just even the way the characters, like the characters are written, it's yeah, it's it's fucking phenomenal, man. I mean, I think we've we've gotten into you know, is there a way to describe what happens in this movie, like what this movie is about? Like if you're, to, well, if, there's even theories. There's even it spawned side theories about. What the hell is in the briefcase and what the fuck oh, is up with we're the, gonna get to that. Uh, the, the, we're gonna the have band-aid to... on the back of Marcellus Wallace's neck. Did he sell soul? his soul to Did the his devil? his soul escape through his neck? Yeah. It, it, it's it's crazy. It's um, No, there's very few movies that do that, that come along and uh, that affect the zeitgeist in such a way that even there's there's side theories made of it. It's been uh, parodied by like every single cartoon show I can think of. Uh, Family Guy has done it. Uh, South Park's done it. Um, anyway. Yeah, no, for sure, dude. I think that's the beauty. massive cultural impact. Yeah, that's that's the that's the beauty of it. Like every person, you know, when you think of America, uh, shit, you think of fucking Pulp Fiction. You th- you think of Vincent Vega. You th- you think of so many of these different characters that are here that have so many. Re- you know, we talk about rewatchable moments. Think about how many rewatchable moments there are in this. Every movie. scene is a rewatchable it's, moment. Exactly. <laughs> If, if if there's a if there's a woman ODing in your car, you instinctively know to put a needle in her chest. And why do you know that? It's because of Pulp Fiction. Fun fact: they no. they shot this scene where he sticks her with a needle in reverse. So they actually shot it yep. with him taking the needle out of her chest, but they reversed that to make it seem like he was stabbing her with a needle. Fucking that way, br- he could use the. It would look like it was force. Fucking yeah. brilliant, dude. Um. <laughs> a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine, shot a short film doing a, a flip that way. But he, he was really just jumping onto something. But it, it made it look like he was doing like a really awesome backflip. But that's how, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty dope. But yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, looking into it, man. Like you know, we look. At the, I think the, the main thing that a lot of people end up talking about more than anything else um, 
the casting of this movie, right? Oh, yeah. Like, what, what is there to say about the casting of this movie? Like, John Travolta, Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman. I mean, you know, looking at the whole... You know, Controversial the, signings. Exactly, yeah. yeah. If you just look Bruce at everybody... Bruce Willis was, was the perfect butch. His face is butch. Yeah. Like, whenever <laughs> you look at him, like... <laughs> no, he I agree. Butch. He, there were some yeah. interesting casting what ifs for that Butch character, but we'll get to in a little bit. So there. before that, yeah, what would you say your favorite character, your favorite roles in this whole movie were, in y'all's opinion? My favorite character? Oh, yeah. that's tough, man. I mean, Tra- Travolta gets the nod for best actor. He doesn't win it. He gets the nomination. But as far as character for me goes, oh, that's a tough one. They're all scumbags, right? Exactly. Every character in this movie has a deep flaw. They're murderers, thugs, thieves, etc., etc. The best character for me, oh, I got to go with Butch, yeah. the underdog, right? Originally, they wanted to make the character like a younger, up-and-coming up kind of guy. Uh, they thought about Mickey Rourke for the role. They Ooh. thought about Sylvester Stallone possibly playing the role. But I think they did I think they did well with Bruce Willis as an old, battered guy who kind of has a coming-to-moment, a coming-to-realization moment, and even a redemption arc. I think he's the only redemption arc in the movie is split between him and Samuel L. Jackson's Jewel. Yeah. Dude, yeah, no, I think that's phenomenal, man. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with you. I think for me, uh, but I will disagree with you. For me, it just has to be John Travolta, man. I yeah. think this was just, you know, I think we talked about it's this before. Movie. You know, this is similar to a lot what what different actors had as well, right? I mean, Travolta was typecasted previously when we see it from something like Grease, right? He was kind of like that, uh, you know, that hot boy, that young kid that every was a heartthrob that every girl in her twenties wanted, and then he kind of went through a streak that you didn't know what he was going into, and then Pulp Fiction came out of this. This is similar to me from my generation thinking of something like the McConaissance, right? For Matthew McConaughey. Well said. I think we look at something of like this guy was known as a rom-com guy, you know, all these movies that you can't take him seriously, going to movies like Sahara. And then out of nowhere, you know, midway through his career, we find out that no, this guy can fucking act. True Detective, probably we all agree, probably the greatest one season of television we've ever seen with Russ Cole. Bar none. Mud. Right then, you have Interstellar. There, there's so many good movies that this guy ends up having afterwards too. Are, are we not? Are we not going to mention the Free State of Jones? <laughs> oh God! But there's so many good movies that this guy had. I, I look at this career so similar to what uh, John Travolta ended up having because after this, he ends up having like some great movies as well. Right, Broken Arrow, uh, Face Off, Angel. Yeah, exactly, dude. So many good movies that this guy comes out with John Woo afterwards. So I think for 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 Travolta, this was kind of like his reconnaissance. It was like a Travolta sans, really. Um, and this this was phenomenal. I think he carried this movie. Uh, Vincent Vega is a household name now in literally every household, and any, anybody who's ever watched a good movie. Who you got, Matty boy? Uh, so my I, I my my personal I think favorite is either uh, Butch or Jules. I, I, if I've got to pick one, it's got to be Jules, especially since you guys already picked uh, two of the other favorites. Uh, so uh, <laughs> that's what I'm going to go with. I think, I think it's interesting, Butch and Vincent Vega, though, they're like juxtapositions of each other. Uh, it's it even referenced by that scene at the bar where they're at the strip club whenever uh, he, uh, after, after they go to fucking um, Tarantino's house yeah. and uh, get, the, get the guy body cleaned up. Uh, dead inward storage unit. Yeah, the whole that whole scene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, they I'm not gonna Marvin. ruin your podcast, guys. Don't worry. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but she uh, that so after that whole scene, we, he's sitting there in like that that fucking like tourist clothes, with, like the bright neon and mini in the short shorts, and he's sitting at the bar next to uh, and then but he, uh, Vince Vega is, and then Bush walks up and they just kind of eye each other, like the fuck you looking at, um, and then you know later on that's. Uh, 
it comes to fruition whenever uh or that was i guess uh foretelling of the later scene whenever him and vega are in the the uh the apartment and uh he shoots vega and, and he kills comes him. out of the restroom uh, by, I, by the way nothing yeah, yeah, nothing good happens when uh when he comes out of the restroom in any scene in the movie right <laughs> like, true. Yeah, he, he comes out of the yeah, restroom yeah. in the diner and the robbery is happening he comes out of the restroom with mia and mia's having an overdose he comes out of the restroom taking a shit in butch's apartment and gets killed so i think that <laughs> you know, tarantino that, that, that can't be coincidence that, that that's that's i i've never noticed that and that's got that's conscious writing yeah, Tarantino uh, had to be going through like a some exacerbation why, of inflammatory bowel syndrome while writing this movie, <laughs> trying to send no, a message well, to the audience. I think it. I think it's kind of like um, maybe even, and this is going to be this this is where, this is going to uh, where people set off theories and stuff, and I might be making up one right now. But it's kind of like uh, you go to the bathroom. It, it, it whenever, so like whenever you're doing something. So say you're you're at work. You're you're supposed to be like security guard. That's what he was doing. Vega was there to be a guard, right? He was supposed to be there watching, and he had to go take a shit real quick or something. But then he went back to his post. If he would have been at his post, he would have killed Butch. And that was my that was the point I'm trying to make is yeah. only by a second did Butch get to kill Vega. Yeah. They otherwise Vega would have been there ready to kill him as soon as he came back in to get that watch. It was chance it would it, it provident divine providence you if you hey. believe in a god of you know that butch would happen to get so lucky and that's why i think him and vega are kind of very similar characters and that they are both kind of just floating through this world tarantino's created like vega um they, they both talk about it but vega talks about it very specifically with jules whenever he's talking to jules about like not being a bum and all the shit that jules is talking about about changing his life and finding meaning uh well said i'm sorry well said. Oh, but yeah, I, I think that, that that's what makes Jules my favorite character is that he uh, he's, he's different in that way. He's the only thinker, I guess, and uh, the only one that tries to control his destiny. Hey, I mean, he's, well, him he's being, the smartest He's the smartest guy in the room in every scene that he's in, and you get that. Him yeah. and Ving Rhames, him and Mar- Ving Rhames, Marcellus Wallace, uh, the, the guy that plays Marcellus Wallace. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we forgot to but, do best quotes. Ooh. Oh, shit. Real quick, best quote from Glorious Bastards. Go. I'm putting you on the spot. Let me hit you with mine while you think. Go for it. Uh, when they're in the tavern and Michael Fassbender's character realizes he's given himself away. And so he says, well, old boy, if I'm going to go out, I hope you don't mind if I go out speaking the Kings. Fucking beautiful. <laughs> that was being the sports pot that it is. Teddy fucking Williams. Teddy fucking, fucking Williams. Williams. Hits it out of the park. <laughs> that was good. Maddie, what about for um, you, bro? I don't know the exact line, but the very end when Shoshana takes over the uh, takes over the film at the German, uh, the big propaganda film, and she says, "I want you to look in the face of the. You're all gonna die. The third the Third Reich ends today, and I want you to look in the face of the Jew who's going to do it. Beautiful. And it starts. Yeah, that. Bam. Wonderful. God, Shoshana. That, I, I, I think uh, I think Tarantino wrote that scene like way earlier before he wrote a lot of the other parts. Of the movie. Well done. Like that. That was one of his big. Yeah, the reason I thought of that, that the reason I thought of the quote category is Matt. You bring up Marcellus. uh, Marcellus, I was about to say Marcellus Wiley from ESPN. (laughs) You bring up Marcellus, Matt. Uh, He had the best quote in Pulp Fiction for me when when they're done with the fucking gimp, and he goes, 
I'm going to go medieval on your ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just fucking cla- Like I said, dude, yeah. th- this combination of highbrow and lowbrow that Tarantino is able to infuse in his movies so effortlessly is just, is what makes him so relatable and connectable to me as a, as a millennial and as someone who absorbs popular culture and at the same time appreciates classic cinema. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I look at, like, for me, like, dude, the best quote, I mean, oh, Royale with cheese. Oh, oh well God. done. Yeah. Come on now, God. dude. That, that itself, I think, just gave, like, gave uh, McDonald's so much more marketability just off this one fucking movie. So as a McDonald's shareholder, I'm proud to say that the Royale with cheese became a beautiful thing. You, know, you know what they call it? Matt, I remember talking with you about this scene. We watched this scene one time all the way to the end, and one of the beautiful parts was, you know, they go, what's a quarter pounder in France? Is it a quarter pounder? No, they don't use, they use the metric system. Oh, it's a Royale with cheese. Then Samuel L. Jackson asks him, or I'm sorry, John Travolta asks Samuel L. Jackson, what do they call a Big Mac? And Samuel <laughs> L. Jackson just says, I don't know. And that conversation is over. Just scrapped. It's just fucking beautiful <laughs> making up the rules as he goes. I love that scene, dude. That's a great quote. A- even better scene, in my opinion. And they transition over to the foot massage yeah, it's conversation. <laughs> just well done. The, the thing is, it's exactly how people talk. That's my favorite yes, thing about Tarantino's yeah, dialogue, true. especially in Pulp Fiction, especially in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Um, and, and everything he made before the 2000s, uh, it, it's still good, but every, it's so dialogue-focused. Like, a lot of stuff in, like, his more action-y movies, like, uh, like in, uh, what's it, like, I can't remember the word, Kill Bill. Uh, yeah, the dialogue's real and believable, but, like, how many situations are there in real life where you're talking to someone like that? How many times have you been killed by your you know, attempted to be killed by your friend and you're there about to kill her in front of her daughter. It's a very rare situation. Yeah, I have but not, the dialogue, I personally have not yeah, plucked yeah. anyone's eyeball out of their orbital socket. Exactly, not yet. yeah. <laughs> Me either. I, I I've, never, nurse, I've never, so. I've never, uh, I've never, I've never lost a Mandingo fight either. So. <laughs> yet? <laughs> it's, it's a very, it's a very strange situation to find yourself in and you don't know what you're saying. You know, so you don't know really what is real dialogue. But, you know, you're, you're sitting around with your friends because your friend comes back from Europe that's exactly what the conversation would sound like. Oh, what do they call a big man? Oh, I don't know. I didn't go to Burger King. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Bam, next. <laughs> and then right, talking so, about... So yeah, let's, get, let's get into the casting what-ifs here. Yeah, dude. So starting off with the big hitter, John Travolta. I talked to you about this. Yeah, the deal. They wanted... Originally, the studio wanted Daniel Day-Lewis to play this part. Tarantino would not budge. He didn't think he could pull it off, and he stuck with his guns going with the controversial choice of Travolta. Nabil, you disagree with me on this, but I, I could not be happier. Yeah, no, I think Same. D- Daniel Day-Lewis is the greatest actor yeah. of our generation. Bar none. Probably, well, in my opinion, I would argue he's probably the, the, greatest, the greatest actor we've ever seen. The greatest seen. method actor of our I've, generation? Greatest actor, actor, period. 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 Uh, we have never seen, like, if we talk about the true word, like, the term of the word actor, and somebody, like, pretty much putting their whole heart and soul into a character and you can't even discern who the hell that person is until they tell you they're dealing with Lewis. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved to see like what, uh, you know, who is truly Vincent Vega, right? I think this was John Travolta. We, we all see, uh, you know, I think Vincent Vega, the character is there, but seeing that, okay, this is still John Travolta playing Vincent Vega. I wanted to see what like a method ver- acted version of a Vincent Vega would have been. And I think that's the only thing. I think that's the beauty of Daniel Day Lewis. Like when we saw Lincoln, right? It wasn't Daniel 
Daniel Day Lewis playing Lincoln. I literally fucking thought I was watching Lincoln, yeah. right? The butcher in, in the gangs of New York. It, it was a fucking butcher who had a, a who had a mental health problem yeah. that, that I was watching. He was the movie. I don't remember Leo from yeah, Gangs exactly. of New York. I remember Daniel. And same Day. thing, like when when you look at like the intricacies of Vince Vega, a very flawed man, right? I think the beauty of what Daniel Day Lewis does as an actor, he takes those flaws and he brings them to the forefront so hard that you can't get over anything else. That's why I would have just loved to see Daniel Day Lewis as Vince Vega. Yeah. So in uh in the original like the scene where you know he's going to pick up Mia and he has the heroin drive over to pick her up one of Tarantino's friends who had completed rehab as a heroin addict hello. Told, told him to hello yeah, yeah Maddie we can hear you sorry about that no you're good man so in that same scene the rehab guy had told John Travolta do some tequila and take a warm bath and that'll kind of emulate you looking like a heroin addict I think Daniel Day-Lewis would have straight up injected heroin into his jugulars Probably. to pull that scene off so yeah, exactly. yeah I mean he could he could have done a few more things <laughs> I don't disagree there yeah dude, I, I look I, I that's definitely a casting what if for me man I think my casting what if would have been seeing uh Tim Roth played Ringo Pumpkin uh I would have seen Johnny Depp as Ringo. Oh my, yeah. I think that was also like one of the things that, that I think that's one of the TriStar head apparently preferred Johnny Depp or Christian Slater uh, to play Ringo or pumpkin, uh, you know, play Ringo. Uh, man, I would have fucking loved Johnny Depp in that role. I think I, th- this is one of those movies like, you know, seeing Johnny Depp's filmography that, you know, you, you look at all the stuff that he's done, you know, Edward Scissorhands, all these other Tim Horton movies. This is one of those little dark movies that I would have loved to see Johnny Depp get a little taste of. Um, so yeah, that, that's my casting. What if I would have loved to see Johnny Depp in this movie. John, yeah. Johnny Depp in a Tarantino movie. Yeah. Shit. We haven't seen that yet. So I, I would have loved to see it. I can't see Johnny Depp acting out of sight anything other than a Tim Burton movie. I thought him and Tim Burton were just, they were like having a love affair and they were contracted with each other. I didn't know. Yeah, no, they have a, a, a love affair, but I think, I, I think there'd be, if there's any exception that Tim Burton would make, I think it's for Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. That's just me. Oh yeah. It's just, I, yeah. Matt, I, have, I was just more. Do you have any but what I, ifs, Matt? Uh, so going back to the what if about replacing, um, Butch? No, replacing uh, uh Vega with, Jules with uh oh, not, Jules. not Jules, Vincent Vega with with um Daniel Day Lewis. Great actor, amazing actor, like a stage actor. That's exactly why he doesn't belong in this movie. Um it, it's you need uh kind of like the greasiness of uh of Travolta. You need Danny Zuko from Greece. That that's what that's what, that's who I saw. I, I basically, I, I thought of, this is basically Danny Zuko after he graduates, he gets a job uh, for a monster, and this is what happened after this is Greece now. Um, that's what that's what I was picture, thinking of the whole time. That's the accent he was doing. Dude, the, yeah. um, Daniel Day would have been stiff dancing yeah. in that diner. I would have loved yeah, to pay to see that. Uh, Vincent Vega was he's he's. Travolta is just so much more believable as like kind of like an Italian kind of gangster guy. You know, I can't see Daniel Day-Lewis like – I can see him doing a great job acting like a gangster, but it's just he himself He's not gangster. isn't believable. I, I could yeah, – exactly. I, I, there's no way. <laughs> yeah, no, people, that is true. Everyone has a ring, even Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, I would disagree with that, but I would have loved to see his iteration at least of it. It would probably have been less greaser, you know, quote unquote, than uh, than uh, than John Travolta. But by God, I would have loved to see it. Maybe, hey, who, maybe who knows? Maybe in an alternate universe somewhere, in a Rick and Morty version of it, there's a, a version of Daniel Lewis as Vincent Vega. All right, let's keep rolling through these categories. What's aged the best for you guys from this movie? 
Ving Rhames. Uh, I'd like the whole every every yeah exactly right every scene that Ving Rhames was a part of. He's so like he's so understated as an actor, right? Like he's not I don't want to say obnoxious, but like he's not he's not over the top. The way he acts is so like subtle and undertone. It's, it's grounded, like, yeah. It, it's it's phenomenal. I love it. It's the it's I love the un- you don't see his face for a while. Yeah, yeah. I think for, I think the fact yeah the back of his neck for a while right and i think it's the other stuff that he does other than dialogue that really pulls you into him as an actor too right it's like i think that's what for me is the beauty of an actor is like okay the way you deliver your dialogue is one thing but the under the stuff that you do other than your dialogue your you know your facial expressions that your your mannerisms um your build and look at butch like motherfucker hey so that that scene funny fact matt that scene you're talking about where he's in the street and he sees butch in the civic Right before he runs him over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that slow head turn while he's slowly turning his head at that street crossing to spot Butch is a direct reference to Hitchcock's Psycho. Oh, that's true. Direct oh, reference yeah. to that. And by the way, that Honda Civic was also in that movie Psycho, and it was also later on featured in Kill Bill Volume 2. So just a little meta for Quentin Tarantino. Ooh. No shit. Uh, side note, another funny funny thing from, from uh, Kill Bill – the pussy wagon truck. Quentin Tarantino kept that in his uh, in his front at his actual house. The big yellow truck, completely unrelated. But it's hilarious to me that anyone would keep that at their house. You, you'd think you'd get an HOA complaint, but <laughs> <laughs> this is why you try avoiding HOA costs at all times. Mister hey, Tarantino, could you remove the pussy wagon from the front of your lawn? <laughs> Can imagine you a Karen. know he's got a really wealthy neighborhood, oh like God. like the river. I'm just yeah. I'm just waiting for a Karen to come up and actually put that on YouTube. Like, a- <laughs> and and you know what, Nabil, you mentioned the things about Ving Rhames that stand out. The other thing is, I want to say his build. Like yeah. the first shot of Ving Rhames we see, it's not a close up of his face. No, it's a close up of his fucking back, of his of his lats, right. with the giant yeah. fucking band aid gauze tape on the back of his neck because he <laughs> cut his head shaving for the role. Uh, that also prompts some um, theory crafting. Uh, can I just toss this one out for you it's guys, cool. Matt? I know you're familiar with this theory. So they're saying that basically the opening shot of him that focuses on the Band-Aid on the back of his neck, a lot of people think it's to show the mercurial nature of Vink Rames' Marcellus. Other people think that it's kind of to show what was in the briefcase, the golden light that was emitting from the briefcase, and that it was his soul. Because oh. Ving Rhames made a deal to sell his soul to the devil. And in history, when you sell your soul to the devil, your soul is taken from the back of your neck. Oh. So a lot of people are theory crafting and saying that that's what was in the, in the briefcase. And there's more significance to the close-up fucking zoom-in of Ving Rhames' neck when they introduced the character of Marcellus Wiley and how Marcellus Wiley is kind of... Marcellus th- Wiley? Oh, my God. <laughs> We're going back Mar- to ESPN over here, Is bro? Marcellus Wallace a bitch? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the whole like basis of Marcellus Wallace is a fundamental foundational block of every character's story, right? Mm-hmm. Every single nonlinear piece of storytelling that we get, he's involved with somehow. So it would make sense. Did I do a Did I do a good job on that, Matty boy? Yeah, I, I was gonna say also that that's what the the whole glowing suitcase thing. I, I don't buy into the theory, but I think it's this is good good feeding because what would be glowing? Gold does not glow. Not like Even that. gold, there's nothing shining on it, especially so it at night. Yeah, uh, money doesn't shine. Uh, drugs don't shine and glow. If they do, don't inject them in your body. Those aren't good drugs. A Nintendo, a Nintendo Switch does shine. 
That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but, but they didn't have those in the nineties. So, <laughs> sadly enough, so you would have had to sell a soul to get one, and we'd be back in the same scenario. Yeah. Valid point. Uh, but yeah, so, what, yeah. That that was part of uh, the the theory there. But yeah, I I, one, I did not know he shaved his neck and he cut himself, and <laughs> that was just happened to be by accident. That's yeah. hilarious. One more theory for y'all, Jules. At the end of the movie, the scene he has with Vince. He says that he wants to retire, and he kind of has like an enlightenment moment. Um, y'all, he said he wants to be a drifter at the end of this movie. And in the opening wedding scene of Kill Bill Volume 2, who does Samuel L. Jackson play? A piano-playing drifter by the name of Rufus. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. I just thought that. Yeah, just with how meta Tarantino is, yeah. I, I think it's a very viable theory. Yeah, I don't even know about that being just a theory. I think that's just that's just a cool, uh, well, I mean, like a wild theory. The other theory, the soul theory, is like crazy. This is like just a absolutely realistic. Uh, it doesn't even affect the storyline of either story. Um, yeah, why not? And you, you could just art, uh, interpret it that way. Okay, last category here, and then we're going to let you go, Matt. We know you had to study for your bar and start making deals with the backstreet criminals in downtown Houston. What's age the worst for you guys? Man, that's tough. I, shit, I, I really don't even think I there's do my age the best. I'm going to do my age the best real quick because I don't, I don't really have a worst for this one. Go for it. Um, oh, I so got my one. best is – well, it was a different quote, but right before – the whole scene where he's – does he look like a bitch? No. Why'd you try to fuck him like one? Uh, that that whole exchange with him and Brad. Uh, look at the big grains on Brad. Uh, the the uh, he said, "Say what one more goddamn time." Yeah, I'm gonna. What? We Bam. can we can tie that into the most rewatchable scene too. That was fucking so, well so executed. That, yeah. uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I I wasn't trying to use that for that. That was just one of my the 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 specific line though that has it still is so awesome to me because I, I I've studied the Bible my entire life. I mean, I'm a Jew, but I, I've gone to private school studying the Bible. I've went to a private college, studied Bible there. Um, Humble brag. The, the line wherever where, that, that uh, Jewel says before he shoots somebody, the path of the righteous man, that whole, it's, it's not a, it's not a real with, quote, is it? No, it's not, but it ends with, and you'll know my name is the Lord where I lay my vengeance upon me. That part, the vengeance, the word vengeance is, that's the only thing that made me know, realize, okay, that's not an actual Bible verse. The, all of the rest of this is constructed so well that I looked for the verse for a while <laughs> after the first time I saw the movie. I thought it was an actual verse because it, it, it and you go read the line, it, it is it, uh, talking about going through the valley of the shadow. It's very, very constructed to be exactly like a, a real Bible verse. Um, it's written like it could come right out of the book of Ezekiel or Isaiah. So I think that that's something that I think it's well said. really well written. Um, well said. To be able to call it's a, you know, to write in the, in somebody's vein, but to do it in the Bible's vein, that's just really impressive. The, the so whole, the whole interaction with that crew was beautiful. And then accidentally shooting Marvin in the backseat <laughs> of the car, you know, originally they were supposed to shoot him in the neck and he was like supposed to be slowly dying and they decide to shoot him in the head. It's everything explodes. The, the guy, the actor who plays Marvin from <laughs> Matt TV, I, his name escapes me right now. He convinced Tarantino to change it so they could just shoot him directly in the head accidentally. Cause he thought the audience would uh, kind of like alienate themselves from Jules and Vince right. if that were to happen. Happened originally the way it was supposed to. Damn. 
I'm sorry. I, I got it. I, last time I'm changing it. That's actually my favorite line. Oh man, I shot Marvin in the face. <laughs> that, it's just, it's so nonchalant. He blows the guy's head off. Oh man, I shot Marvin in the face. Uh, that's being one of the 20 with Daniel Day Lewis. I'm sorry. Okay. What, um, what's age the worst? Since y'all don't have one, let me go ahead and throw this out there. Quentin Tarantino playing in this movie. <laughs> I thought his character was kind of a wash. Uh, and also, Using the use of the N word so liberally yeah. that he did. I unnecessary, did. yeah. What's up? Not organic is unnecessary, not organic to the situation. I agree. Yeah, like they tried to make it seem like he had a relationship with Jules and they go back a ways, but I don't know if it was the acting performance that he didn't pull off. Maybe the writing was off. Maybe it was the fact that he wasn't behind the lens directing the scene. It just, it didn't feel, it didn't feel as natural as the rest of the movie did for me. So that's what's aged the worst. I, My only it was nitpick. A, you're right. I didn't think about that. That That's like a big... That 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 hit pause on the movie for me. Whenever I watched that whole scene, yeah, um, the wolf ties it back together so well that I don't really notice it that much. But uh, his Tarantino's character is just not believable. He's not a great actor in it, um, and it slows it down. You're right. Yeah, for me, dude. I mean, we're talking about just best moments for me as well, man. Uh, are we forgetting the watch scene? Oh. Come on. <laughs> Christopher Walking. Oh, dude, five long Eric years. Eric Gordon performance. I mean, simple as that, dude. Christopher Walken, the great Christopher Walken coming in and letting a young man know that his daddy had his watch up his ass for five oh, fucking my years. God, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was so unexpected too. Like, and the way he delivers it, like he he keeps a straight face the whole fucking time. Yeah, that was yeah to me that was part of the scene. (laughs) He kept the watch up his ass. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, uh, you yeah, that's amazing. Uh, It's always great whenever you can get a really really big name to do a really really small part like that. It just it really makes it really impactful. I mean, it's not that small a part; it's a really big part, um, short amount of screen time. But yeah. Well, Matt, hey, we want to say, bro, this has been fucking awesome. Uh, I had I had more oh, fun sorry. just going. I'm gonna, throw out. I'm gonna head out, but I, well, I'm gonna throw mine in. But my favorite, because uh, I, I thought about this about from the very beginning of talking about Pulp Fiction, who my my the the best short time on the screen was, and I don't know her name, but. Bunny, I think, is the character. Honey Bunny? Um, yeah, 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 Honey Bunny, there's yeah. A, there's Amanda a whole Plumer. story why she was named that, but go ahead. Amanda Plumer, that's her name. Nice. Yeah, Honey Bunny. Uh, be- best short amount of time on screen. She, she just the, the frizzled hair, the frantic, everything about her. It, it, she's just a batshit crazy woman. And I, I mean, I really believe it. I don't really think, feel like I'm watching a movie whenever I watch that. It's, she's, it's like I'm watching the crazy lady by the train station. So, honey bunny. Perfect. Yeah, well said. Beautiful. Well, hey, we did five movies for the Nolan podcast, and we filled up an hour, 15 minutes just talking about these two masterpieces. Honestly, Matt, we may do another Tarantino pod in the future about Inglorious Bastards and, say, Reservoir Dog or yeah, Kill Bill. Django. That would be fun. So we'd love to have you back on, dude. This was awesome. Love your insight. Love your diehard fandom and the nonsense you spew out at us that we so eloquently take in and shoot back your way. Um, <laughs> we want to do it again sometime. Thanks for coming on. Go study to be a lawyer, man. Best of luck to you. As Borat would say, great success. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. You all have a good one. Yeah, for sure, dude. Thanks for having me. Thank you all for being here, man. I enjoy that. All right, Nabil. Hey. Boom. Well done. 
good episode. You got anything else to say to the peeps? Bro, I mean, what else can we say? Quentin Tarantino, the GOAT. Can't wait to see what other movies he has up in store. 2020 has been an ass show for movies, but hopefully 2021 can uh, bring in a new year of good luck. What do you want to see him do? What's next? A uh, superhero movie. You want to see Star Trek or a superhero movie? Oh, I want to see a superhero movie. Yeah. I, I, want, I want to see T- uh, Tarantino take on a superhero movie. And I think if we can get a good superhero movie from uh, like a rated R version of just like, a, like an anti-hero from Quentin Tarantino... I'll be happy. I'd be, I'd be the happiest man in the world. So Same. let's see what happens, man. I think he has what he only he thinks what two, three or two or three or more movies that he wants to do or something. I believe right is what yeah. we have left. So yeah, let's see if he ends up doing the Vega Brothers or if he ends up doing something like this. So I look excited. forward to it. Whatever it is, take my money. Yeah, for sure, dude. I'm looking forward to that as well. So thank y'all, thank y'all for listening. I know this was a long episode, but catch us in the next one. Deuces. Bye.